You are listening to Con Confianza. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Steve Tamayo. I'm joined in our virtual studio here with Stacey Rafferty, InterVarsity's National Director of Diversity. Say hi, Stacey. Hello. So Stacey is in Omaha, Nebraska right now, and it is probably a winter wonderland there in Omaha. Yes, there's a little bit of snow on the ground, and it's about 23 degrees outside. And Stacy has been bouncing all over the country, helping people with issues of diversity and inclusion as part of her new role in InterVarsity. We're going to get to know Stacy better in just a few minutes, but as is our pattern here on Con Confianza, we want to start with something practical. So Stacy, here's a question I have for you. What advice would you have for someone who finds themselves as the only kind of blank, I'm going to fill in the blank, the only ethnic minority, the only single person, the only mom, the only queer person on their ministry team or in their chapter? What advice would you have for someone? I would just encourage them to make visible any explicit costs that they're paying that maybe other people on the team are not aware of. So if that's for a single person, if they if the team is scheduling dates and times that work only for their schedule and not considering the effect that that has on a single person who maybe has to travel farther to be with their immediate family around Christmas time or holidays, uh, just to make that visible in a team context to give feedback. And I think that applies with all of those different categories of inclusion as well and diversity. Oftentimes our teammates want to serve us, but sometimes they're just kind of blind to what they can't see. So I would encourage folks to, instead of holding that inside and letting it stew, just to start a conversation, start an email thread, or go ahead and and make it visible in a team context. Or this is hard for me. If in the future we can move our dates, that would help me. That's so wise. I think sometimes in ministry we feel like like we're just gonna we're just gonna pick up the rock for the team and just carry it. And we we almost tell ourselves that this is what it looks like to be a servant. Like the Lord has called me to be a servant, and so I'm gonna suffer for my team. And, and we're really we, we sometimes end up putting people in a place where they do things to us which we would never want to do to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think oftentimes we see Latino students, um, whether they're ministers or current college students or even younger and older, there's a high value for putting the team above your own needs and maybe your own schedule. But what happens sometimes is people can take advantage of that without knowing it. So I would like to assume the best about the people around us and that they're not trying to ostracize us or make us pay higher costs. Uh, But the only way to make that visible is to give feedback or to let people in about what it's like. Yeah. I mean, and and that requires some vulnerability on our part. Yes. It requires a risk, right? To say in the future, it would be helpful for me if they might say no, or you you might ask for the thing that would be helpful for you. And they might say, no, we're not going to do that. Or you're being petty, or they might say all these things that we sometimes are afraid. So you can combine this being a martyr on one side with on the other side, this fear of rejection, this fear of vulnerability, this, this fear of 
of the risk of it. Uh, what do you do, Stacy? And, and we're going to circle back around to this in some more depth later. But but what do you do with that fear in that ministry space when you're when you're making your needs known to your team? Yep, that's a fantastic question, Steve. I think when I've been put in that position. Things I try to do is I try to pray beforehand before I talk to anybody, whether it's the team or my supervisor or my staff worker If I, when, when I was a student. I would pray and try to resolve in myself with the Lord. Like if I felt like people kind of did me wrong or did me dirty, I would try to forgive them before I talked to them and like release them from any debt that I thought they owed me so that my hands were clean when I walked into the conversation. So I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. If you have fear going into the conversation, I think talking to someone who you have more trust with on the team, whether if that's your direct staff worker, your ministry leader, your supervisor, and kind of letting them in on what's going on and asking what's the most appropriate way to make this visible to the team then they can be a partner for you and help you figure out what's the best method to do that, whether it's share in a leader's team meeting on campus or um, in a team meeting, whatever venue makes most sense. So I generally like to have partners with me in it. So that's one, one way to deal with the fear. And obviously Jesus can help us in that and help us to choose faith and believe that people around us do want the best for us. Maybe they can flex their schedule if we're using that example, and maybe they can't, but they'll never know unless we tell them. And sometimes I think if they know the cost that we're paying to be the only person in the room, yes. if they know the cost, then they can understand our reactions a little bit more. I, I definitely struggled with this when I was on staff in the Blue Ridge region. I was working with InterVarsity, was the only Latino staff in the region. And sometimes didn't make known the cost that I was carrying when things would would happen in the room. And I I remember we had a a conference. It was a winter conference. And there was a student leader who was giving an announcement about late registration. And he said, you know, if there's anyone here who's undocumented, you know, you, you haven't filled out your paperwork yet and you're here illegally, and I just cringed inside and it, it hurt me to hear this. And there was one friend who I had opened up to about my experience and, and he was able to sit with me and just be in that moment with me. And uh, we weren't made able to undo the moment, right? The moment happened. There were things that we did later to try to make it right and to help that student learn about how his con- comment would affect people and, and to affect the room. But in that moment, you, you just can't make that not have happened. But having a friend who knew what my experience was, I think that was really helpful. And some of us have a harder time sharing about some of those vulnerability uh, pieces, you, sometimes with mental health, sometimes with past history of abuse, sometimes with some of our sexual identity. It it can be harder to be very public about some of those experiences, but having a close friend and ally that we can open up with about, for me, has really kind of opened doors for me. Now, Stacey, this is something I've seen over the years with you. We've known each other probably 12 years. I think the, the first 
your anniversary reminded me of this because I started sending you emails for the first time while you were on your honeymoon. I didn't know that you'd just gotten married. (laughs) So I'm sending you emails about uh, a Lafay conference seminar that was on the horizon because you like went, got married, went on your honeymoon, and then came to Lafayette 07. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So, so we've known each other for a long time, and I've seen you in a bunch of different ministry environments. And you do a great job of building these alliances in healthy ways. Talk us through a little bit about your history in ministry and some of the partnerships that you've formed along the way. Sure. Um, I would love to talk about that. Relationships are very important to me, and I think that's true for for most Latino staff and students. I've tried really hard to create spaces where I can be like and bring all of who I am into whatever place that is. If that's a ministry context, or even if it's just I'm a participant, not necessarily leading anything. When I was younger, in my early 20s, I think that felt very, very risky. It was very hard to kind of expose or open myself up to people who were different than me. And that includes people who are different ethnicities and races. It was hard for me to open up to men in general because I just didn't have very many close male friends. And then, you know, in the context of building like one relationship at a time with folks who are different than me, including people who have much more power than me, I was able to experience more freedom and just to be who I am. So, you know, I am a person who loves to laugh out loud uh, when somebody's preaching or teaching in a seminar. Um, I love to talk back to the speaker. And I kind of muted that for many years in university because in many circles, that wasn't okay. But now I just, you know, as my 36 year old, I'm like, I'm just going to be me. So, you know, we were at a a conference called Cultivate, which has like most of the managers in InterVarsity attend this conference um, in November. And I was just doing me. So I was in the very back of this room of maybe 300 people, I think. And I was laughing and I was talking back to the speaker And a friend of mine uh, who I used to work with, I used to be on a regional leadership team with her. She told me afterwards, she's like, I smiled and laughed because I heard your voice. And I said, that's Stacy. She's just being Stacy. Well, and and 10 years ago, if someone said, that's just Stacy being Stacy, you would have heard that as an insult, right? Yes. And now it felt like a blessing? Yes. So what's changed? What's changed in you? Yeah, I think my confidence level has gone up. I think my uh, comfort with being different than a quote-unquote typical university staff or a typical ministry leader in the Midwest that is generally a little bit more quiet, a little bit more reserved. Uh, Many of my colleagues, that is the way they function. And I love them and appreciate them in that way. I'm different. That is not my preferred mode. I can operate that way, and I do in contexts where it requires that. But in um, places and spaces and venues that I can bring the, you know, joyful, kind of loud, kind of hood enthusiasm into the space, I do. And it brings me great joy 
um, to be able to be myself, even if that other people can hear it and see it. And maybe they don't know me and maybe they don't like that, but that's okay because it's good and appropriate for me to be able to take up a little bit more space than I did when I was younger. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times Latinos in ministry, we, we either take up all the space. I mean, some Mm -hmm. of us take up all the space and you're like, wow, you're really going to take up all the space. Uh, but, But others of us, we feel like we need to take up as little space as possible because if we take up as little space as possible, they'll let us stay in the room. That's correct. You know, there's that, that great moment in Hamilton you know, which was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? So a Latino playwright, screenwright. What is that? Playwright? Poet? Playwright, I think so. Playwright. Where he talks about wanting to be in the room where it happens. And I think that's probably something that Alexander Hamilton felt. But I think it's more than that. It's something that Latinos feel. where We want to be in the room where it happens. But sometimes figuring out how to do that emotionally, how to do that spiritually, how to do that in a healthy way can yes. be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Now, you've had, you reference bringing some hood. So you've had some hood experiences in your yes. childhood. Mm-hmm. You are currently married, your mom with three kids. You've got a lot of things that you're juggling in addition to your ministry life. What are some things that you've done along the way to, to get healthy for ministry? Oh, This is something I love talking about. I think the biggest thing that I've done in order to become healthy for ministry is seeing a counselor. I love therapy. Therapy is the best as long as you find a great therapist. And I would say keep trying new ones until you find the one that fits. Can you tell us a little bit about what seeing a therapist did for you? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. I think growing up in the hood, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, I youngest of seven, um, you know, kind of in a more lower class socioeconomic background. Uh, But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. However, it wasn't until I went away to college when I was 18 that I realized that some of the things that I learned growing up were kind of coping mechanisms that helped me survive um, the chaos that was kind of around me. But In this new context of my life, those survival skills and coping mechanisms didn't work anymore. In fact, they were probably maladaptive, right? Like they, like they, they were necessary at one stage and harmful in a different situation. Correct. Um, Exactly. It was exactly that, Steve. So I needed help. I just needed a little bit of help to kind of name what those coping mechanisms and skills that I learned that were that were very helpful in that context in that time. Um, but now that I was in college, when I got married, when I moved to Nebraska from Los Angeles, those, those methods and skills weren't going to actually help me thrive anymore. They weren't going to help me survive. So I needed to understand what happened in the past, accept it, and then learn new skills, new ways to process information as I was growing in my own identity as a young woman, as a young leader, as a married woman, as a mom. You know, I had all of these identities that were new to me that I needed 
new skills on how to become like a healthy mom and a healthy married woman. And what does a healthy marriage look like? What does a healthy cross-cultural marriage look like? I didn't know how to do those things. And what therapy did was give me the space to go to do a deep dive with Jesus and with my counselor to kind of see what patterns there were that were unhelpful for me that were blocking me and then create uh, like plans forward and how to kind of embrace new patterns, new health, new rhythms, uh, new uh, disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And if part of what God has called you to do is to bring your full self to the room, to your ministry, if there is a pattern of emotional unhealth, or if there are strategies that you're using that are unhealthy for, for you or maladaptive to your context, then then bringing your whole self to the room can actually be bringing a lot of pain and mess and chaos to the room. Yeah, so actually, there's this this thing that happens in ministry where actually getting personal healing in whatever venue that is, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, physically, even you know, mm-hmm. getting that personal taking care of yourself has a huge impact on the room that you're in. Yes. And, and many times we buy into this lie that I, I'm going to take care of the people and I'm not going to worry about myself, that it's, it's almost this idea that self-care is selfish and it can feel indulgent to, I'm yes. just going to go and I'm going to sit in someone's office and I'm going to pay them money to be my friend, you know? And, yes. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think through, you know, the decade of ministry that I went through before reaching out to someone, and I, I wonder how different it would have been if I had gotten started earlier. And, you know, for a lot of folks, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a college student, there might be great counseling resources available for free on your campus. That's why your tuition is so high. You're already paying for it. If, if you're on staff with InterVarsity and you have health insurance, our health insurance actually has really good counseling benefits, Yeah, like shockingly good compared to some other places uh, that you could work. And, you know, I would just totally agree with you, Stacey, that that's a really wise thing to encourage people to do as they get healthy for ministry, that you being a healthier mom, you being a healthier wife, you being a healthier child of your family of origin is good for the ministry. It's, yes. it's, it's not just good for the ministry, it's good for you, but it is also good for the ministry. And I think that's important. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think just one thing I want to name, especially for college students and young 20-something ministers there is still like a stigma around counseling in the Latino community. Common things that I heard were like, you're going to go and tell somebody all of our family's like deepest, darkest secrets and shame. And yes, I did. I did do that. And it was actually an outside perspective that helped me recognize what was good that I could hold with me for the rest of my life and pass on to my children. And also, like, with an objective, neutral perspective, say, yeah, that probably wasn't the best way to, to handle conflict in your family. How do you want to handle conflict in your new family as you're forming it with your husband? And in some ways, I wonder, just kind of from, from watching the course of your ministry, 
if you re- so you received that gift in your 20s mm-hmm. and now in a way and I, I know you're not a counselor now you're not a therapist but in a way in your new role you've been in this new role for a little over a year mm-hmm. yes yes that's so, so you so you, as as one of intervarsity's national directors of diversity you have a whole region of the country that you're responsible for as well as some of your national responsibilities and part of what you do is you create space within the, the National Ministry of InterVarsity for people to talk about their broken family relationships and the, the things that have happened and the ways that they're feeling in a safe place with someone who's not going to go blab their secrets out to everybody, a, a, a safe person who can give them counsel, who can give them advice, who can offer advocacy. I mean, in some ways, are you, you're playing that role, Yes. Yes, in some ways, absolutely. Creating space where uh, people with different experiences um, and diversities and different group identities, whether that's people who are differently abled or different generations of staff and students um, or ethnicities or gender, et cetera, et cetera. That is something I get to do. And it's joyful to be able to listen and to also create space where they can just talk about what's going on and also to encourage them like, uh, yeah, maybe you should see a spiritual director or maybe you should seek a leave of absence or a sabbatical or, you know, I've counseled students like, I think maybe this should be a season where you don't do ministry. You shouldn't lead. Instead of focusing outward, why don't you focus inward and get a little bit more healthy before you lead other students? And a lot of times you're inviting people to take a bigger perspective and to think about a longer term. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes things feel, they feel like it's the biggest thing in the world and it's going to last forever. And to have someone who's outside of whatever system it is, a family system, a ministry system who says, this too shall pass. It gets better. You know, I mean, the it gets better campaign is one of the most meaningful campaigns in the history of, you know, any mental health campaign I've ever seen. Yes. And I do, I do wonder, and we're going to drill into this really deep now. Can we, can we go into the yes, depths please. a little bit? So, so one of our convictions in InterVarsity is that diversity strengthens our ministry. And yet this is, this is a, a counter-cultural thing to believe because All around us, we can look and we can see these huge ministries that have been built on something called the HUP, the homogenous unit principle, the HUP. You get get the most homogenous group possible together, and it will grow rapidly to an enormous size. And there are churches that have grown really large with this. There are ministries that have grown really large with this. And yet in InterVarsity, we do believe that there's something that diversity brings to the table and I, I wonder sometimes if Jesus has placed us in kind of the, the North American uh, ministry movement as, as an outsider of sorts to say, hey, you guys, the, the hub is a lie, right? That this, this idea that healthy ministry growth happens in a space of homogeneity, that's a lie. And, and Jesus has something better for us. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how diversity strengthens an organization's health? We in the diversity department have had really wonderful professional consultants come in and do training for us. And it is true 
that in the secular world, uh, diverse teams where um, each individual feels like they are welcomed and they belong and their uniqueness is valued actually way outperform any homogenous team, period. So we see that in the, in the secular world, and we've seen that in different hotspots around the country and in our varsity over the last, you know, 30 years. I think we've, we really care about multi-ethnicity, creating, creating diverse teams that represent different ethnicities and cultures. And I think as in this new season of InterVarsity, as we are expanding our kind of organizational structure to hold more staff and students as we seek to reach the 2030 calling of every corner, every campus. Yeah, um, which actually, can, can we stop there for a second? That's sure. your phrase, right? <laughs> That's your phrase. Like you and Eric came up with that. Every corner of every campus at Nebraska, right? Yes. Um, yes. There's a little bit debate about that, but yes, many people no, say I'm on that your, it came I'm, from us. I, I say that it came from you. That's where I heard it for the first time. And I've got really big ears. <laughs> you know, that, that idea that in order to reach every corner of every campus, we need to have every type of person at the table. I mean, that that's, that's a very powerful strategic idea. You know, I remember reading uh, the McKinsey report from 2016 talking about how diverse teams outperform uh, homogenous teams. So is this just an idea that comes from the business world or or the academic world? Or is there something biblical about this? Oh, absolutely biblical. Um, It's a leading um, question. I I, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Tell tell our audience. Yeah. So I think um, one thing about, you know, in Genesis 11 and Tower of Babel, um, I think it often gets misinterpreted of like, oh, you know, we created, God created multiple cultures and languages because the people were bad and they wanted to like create this tower and reach God. And I think it was always God's intention to have different cultures, uh, different people. I mean, even the reality is, is that when people live in different climates, they have different cultures and language. I mean, if desert people have words for cactus and different uh, things in the land, people, uh, seafaring people have words for tides and fish and things like that. It was going to happen anyway. And the the downfall of Babel was that people want, the people wanted to be together they wanted to erase differences. They wanted to be unified and similar so that they could gain more power. So I think in scripture, we see there's beauty and diversity, right? And we actually get to experience more of God's kingdom. I think, I believe that in each culture, God has placed a part of his character. And as we get to know people who are different than us, their faith traditions, the gifts that their that God has placed in their culture, then I get we get to experience more of who God is, and I've experienced this over and over and over again since I was eighteen and just joined in a varsity. So I'm sold on that. So I see it in scripture. I see it in lived personal experience, and I think that is my commitment. That's where my um, value and passion for diversity comes from is from scripture and desire to see many people come together and to just taste a little bit of what it's going to be like in heaven when all people in all languages 
will bow before the Lord. And, and I get to experience a little bit of that now. That's where we're headed, right? I mean, that's the destination, right? You, if you want to begin with the end in mind, to know that at the end, we're going to be gathered together, every tribe, every tongue, every language, be gathered together before the throne of God, worshiping him. It, it does change your perspective today. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, Stacey, to someone who, who says, well, when I became a Christian, my identity as a Christian became my primary identity and all of my other identities have been stripped away. My identity as a Latino, my identity as a man, my identity as someone with an upper middle class background, my identity as someone who's college educated, all of that is stripped away. And now I am a Christian and Christian is my identity. What what would you say to that person? Because I feel like that's something that we hear often when we start talking about diversity is, is this fear that, that our various different identities that the various different intersectionalities that make up who we are mm-hmm. will, will overwhelm our Christian identity? Oh, that's a fascinating question. I understand where people are coming from and the desire to center uh, their Christian experience and, you know, being uh, redeemed and saved and sanctified. And that is important. And you will never hear me say that it's not. Uh, but at the same time, God created you as an individual in your culture and your family in this like season of time, right? In the history of the world. And those things matter. It wasn't an accident. So I would encourage folks who are kind of struggling or in that tension of how can you be all about Jesus and all about your Christian identity as a Christ follower? What do you do with your socioeconomic background your family of origin, your ethnicity, your gender. I think those are, depending on what they are, have different power and privilege um, that you can actually use for the sake of the kingdom of God. So what would it be like if all Christian men advocated for, for women or, or children who are being mistreated in the church, in the, just in the U.S.? What would that be like? I think all of our churches would be more healthy and that would be a gift. And the same is true. And you pick any one of those diversities and you can do the same. You can see God using it for his justice, for his expansion of his kingdom that we get to just taste a little bit because the kingdom of God is here and it is coming. So I'm like, I'm all down for let's experience as much of it as we can here now before we get to see it in full. Yes. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Stacy. That's beautiful. I I am so incredibly grateful that God has given each of us a certain amount of privilege to bring to conversations, to bring to the kingdom. That we all have gifts. There's this image that's used in Scripture of the the kings of every nation coming together and bringing gifts to God, and. Sometimes we misinterpret that as this is a, a show of domination and God is demanding tribute. But some of it is, I think, just this reflection. There is something that everyone and every facet of their identity has to bring to the Lord, a, a gift. And, you know, when we engage in conversations about intersectionality, about privilege, I think it's really important for us to see that that everyone in, in every different facet of the power dynamic has a gift to bring to the Lord, has a gift to bring to the kingdom. 
And, yes. you know, if you're listening to this and, and you're looking at a facet of your identity, you know, maybe a facet of your ethnic identity, and you're wondering about your Latino heritage, and you're wondering if there's anything in that that you have to, to bring out of that to, to the Lord, I just want you to hear what Stacy's saying, what I'm saying is that, yes, you do have a gift to bring. In fact, I think there's a responsibility on us to bring yes. the gift that's been entrusted to us. I think God's going to ask for an accounting one day. Invite an accounting. Invite. What did you do with the gift that I gave you? You know, that was something that uh, that I think you and I preached together on at La Fe 13. Is this is this connection between character and our responsibility to be stewards of the gifting that God's given us? That's and right. uh, so, Stacy, as we start to wrap up the podcast, we, we need to to get moving. You've got a meeting to jump off to. I've got another episode to record here in just a few minutes. I want to ask you this last question. What one thing, we're going to do some application here. What one thing can someone do to apply this perspective on diversity and inclusion to their life, their campus, their ministry? What, what What one thing would you say, oh man, if someone took what they heard on the podcast and went and put it into play in the real world tomorrow, I would be so excited to hear that. There's a skill in diversity work called tracking. And what that means is observing patterns around you uh, by group identity. So, you know, you're at an airport and you're looking for patterns. For example, you could see you could see there's only uh, dark women working behind the kiosks at check-in. And there's only light-skinned people as the customers without making a judgment about it. So I think that you can do that in any layer, any place, but that one skill of tracking, and you can Google it, um, you can see a video on it. Ram, my boss, the VP of diversity, has a YouTube video that's just hanging out in the world out there. Um, We'll link to that in the show notes so that people can, can click and find it. Yeah, you can look at it and do that. And if you practice that one skill of diversity, that will give you the awareness that you need to be able to speak and advocate for and create space for people who are not in the room. Another way to say that if you don't want to do tracking is every time you walk into a room, look around and notice who's there and ask the question who is not in the room and why and get data before you make assumptions. So that is the, I think that's one of the key personal questions I've held in my heart um, since I was in high school before I even knew what it was. I think that's just something God deposited in me. And I would invite you to consider the same who is in the room, who is not in the room and why and why. And why? And as, as you think about what it looks like to get healthy for ministry, and particularly for your organization, that could be your InterVarsity chapter, that could be the area where you work, the region where you work. As you think through, what does it look like for, for us to be healthy together? Tracking is such an important skill. And I, you know, just to add on to that, Stacy, I think the Holy Spirit can empower our tracking. Do you think that? Have you ever had that happen? Absolutely. Yes. I think the Holy Spirit can draw our attention to things that we may not have ever noticed. So I would strongly encourage people when doing that tracking work to 
have that deeply embedded in their prayer life to, to not just say, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to figure stuff out, but to say, Holy spirit, you're able, you know, everyone who's in the room, you're able to keep track of all of the different intersectional facets of someone's identity, the layers and layers and layers. And would you just draw my attention to something? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was, that would be a great prayer to pray. And you know, the Lord loves to give us insight and wisdom. Can you share about a time when he's done that for you? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Let's see. When's the most recent time? I think when I first started planting in Nebraska, so planting means just starting new work on new campuses. We walked on campus and we kind of stood in front of a few different dorms And every single person we talked to that was already identified as a Christian was already in a Bible study from either a great church or a different uh, parachurch organization. And we really thought, well, Lord, okay, this this corner of campus, the dorms is covered. Where else do you want to go? So we started walking around campus and we were looking who's hanging around, who's missing, asking the question, where do you want us to to invest time. And Jesus said, black and Latino students. And we're like in Nebraska, in Nebraska. That's right. And so then we, we asked, okay, God, if we think that's what you're saying, so can you open up the doors, like give us spiritual divine appointments with uh, students, people of peace who have uh, networks in those two groups that will introduce us to people. And he did over and over and over again. Um, So by the end of, you know, 12 weeks of the fall semester, we had a crew of, I think, 25 Black and Latino students in Nebraska because God, like God revealed that to us. We, we wanted that in our hearts. That wasn't necessarily where we were going to start, but we did because we were responsive to what the Holy Spirit was saying. And as a result of that experience that that you and Eric had on campus, the standard practice in InterVarsity nationally has changed. Like nationally now, people are, they're going out there and they're pulling a Rafferty, kind of, right? They're going out there. I don't know if they call it that. They probably don't. Probably not. No, because you guys are so humble. You don't like trademark stuff. You know, that's, that's what that little R with the circle around it. That's what that should mean. Is, you know, <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Symbol. But there's, you know, there is something really special about what you have brought to not only La Fe, but InterVarsity as a whole. And I'm really grateful for you, Stacy. I know you've heard me say this before, not just grateful for your ministry, but also grateful for your friendship. If people want to connect with you, you know, say they want to share how they're putting this into practice, or they want to ask for additional advice, or maybe they want to donate to your ministry. Like, What are ways that people could get in touch with you? Oh, I would love, I would welcome all communication. I think email is a great place to to get me. So Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y dot Rafferty, R-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y at InterVarsity.org. Find me on Facebook, Stacy Rafferty. I'm, I think the only brown Stacy Rafferty that I know of on Facebook. I would love to con- uh, be in conversation with you and pray for you and um, have any other conversations online. Investing in young Latino leaders is my favorite thing. Yes. 
Yes. So if you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast, we're so happy to hear it. We think it'll be helpful for you. Thank you so much, Stacy, for jumping on. If you're listening to this and you would like to hear more content about getting healthy for ministry, check out the rest of season one of Con Confianza. And we're going to have future seasons that we're going to drop sporadically over the course of this year. We would love it if you subscribed, if you shared, so that you can keep up with us as we share more great interviews to help you be faithful with the ministry that God has entrusted to you. God bless.